Yo, what's up, listeners of Ass in the Jackpot? This is AJ coming at you again. We're going to get into episode three real quick. Uh, but first, I want to remind you, as always, to follow us on Twitter at Ass in the Jackpot. And we're streaming always on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Welcome in, welcome in. We are coming at you with episode three of the Ass in the Jack pod. AJ, Brennan, and John coming at you as always. We're obviously not happy right now, but uh, we're going to do our best to keep a little bit of a smile on our faces to get through this podcast here. Or, uh, I don't know, maybe we just like kind of like tear up the mics and freak out Mad Dog Russo style. Yeah, right, right. We'll see like, where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Hey, like. Let me be the voice of reason for a second, because I know everyone's jumping off the deep end. Let's take a deep breath. That was a fun baseball game we just got to watch. And since we got robbed of it starting last Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I, for one, am just very excited to have actually seen Francisco Lindor make cool plays in the field. Jacob DeGrom completely dismantle a lineup for six innings, and we'll get into that. Probably should have been seven, maybe even eight, but 77 pitches, certainly a pretty tight cap on Jake. I don't wonder about that, but it was a fun baseball game. And yeah, the bullpen really stunk in the eighth inning, but uh, getting to see the offense kind of try and piece something together in the ninth against a very good looking uh, Alvarado was at least fun to watch. And I'm very excited to do it again tomorrow night. Series on. Yeah, I mean, it was a really great time watching Aaron Loop plunk Bryce Harper to bring in a run there. That was amazing. Oh, we need some of those memory zappers from Men in Black for that eighth inning. Just boop. That never happens. It's just like, dude, can this guy, Jacob deGrom, catch a freaking break? It's like we're about to turn a page here to a, to a new era of the franchise, and it's still this same old shit that's happening with Jacob deGrom. The man has started, I don't know, probably like almost 80 games He's probably has an ERA. Well, we can get the exact numbers on this, but I'm going to guess like around 80 games started for the Mets, probably an ERA in the low twos and an under 500 record for Jacob deGrom. I think I'm pretty spot on with that, but uh, that's just embarrassing. That's I not think, right. I, I think the easiest job in the SMY booth tonight is the production assistant whose job it is to pull up the stat showing how many games Jacob DeGrom has lost when he's left with a lead after six innings. Like, they have that thing they saved have the to their bookmark, okay? Like, it's really getting sad that the story with DeGrom's career is like, yes, we all recognize the brilliance of his entire career, but especially 2018 through now. But you have to also mention that the team has completely betrayed him for most of that time. And it kind of leaves a little bit of a hint of a doubt in the minds of people that just want to hate on Mets players. Because we all know, we all know who I'm talking about. The people who like to say, well, where are the wins? Uh, he doesn't match up with some of these other guys. The guy's a brilliant pitcher. We're so lucky to get to watch him on, you know, on every five-day basis. We're going to see him in person on Saturday. But, you know, let's see uh, some of that uh, misfortune with run scoring. And it kind of corrected itself last year. But, you know, let, let's see that change a little bit for this guy. Let's talk about DeGrom's opening night for a second. He went six innings, seven strikeouts, two walks, three hits. He threw 77 pitches. AJ, you think Rojas pulled the plug a little early on DeGrom tonight? <laughs> Do I think Rojas plugged, pulled the plug a little bit early? I think 
every Mets fan in the universe thinks that Rojas should have absolutely let uh, Jacob DeGrom run deeper into that game. 77 pitches. It's still a tight game. You know, if uh, three, four, five runs, you bring in the next guy. They were sure. saying fine. before the game, fine. 100 pitches. Yeah, I saw that too. So I was shocked. After 77, I, I, I don't know. I was absolutely shocked when they were pulling him after 77 pitches. When I saw his pitch count as low as it was, you know, getting deeper into the game, I was, I started to, cause I, I, I did see the hundred pitch thing that uh, Luis Rojas brought up before the game. So I started having thoughts of like, okay, this guy can go eight. This guy can maybe throw a complete game if he gets a couple of really quick innings mixed in here. And then they, they yank him after 77. And that was really the start of the uh of of everything crumbling as it usually is with these Jacob deGrom starts we've seen it way too many times where the bullpen comes in no matter who it is it's been a revolving door of guys over the last couple of years um and again tonight we see some of the same old stuff that we've been seeing over the past couple of years and it's just uh it's disappointing it's disappointing but you know what we do have a lot to look forward to i don't want to be too uh doom and gloom here tonight we do have a lot to look forward to with this team so just to uh, go a little deeper into the decision, I'm pulling DeGrom. I got good old Steve Gelbsey's Twitter up. Um, thought he was great tonight in the broadcast. But uh, I'm pulling DeGrom after 77 pitches. Rojas says it was about the six ups. He hadn't pitched in 10 days. Mets wanted to be extra cautious. Listen, you can't really poke too many holes on the decision of taking DeGrom out if it's about his longevity here. We've all talked about you know how different this season is for – Pitchers coming off the 60-game season, and we've already seen a lot of clubs be very cautious with uh, throwing aces out there for more than 75, 80 pitches. So you can certainly understand the decision-making. It's just that when you make that decision, you got to be real confident about that back end holding up, and just tonight it didn't. And they're going to have a lot more opportunities to do it. I, I said in our opening show, I'm very excited about May's potential here, uh, and I think that there will be a lot more good days than bad days. But, you know... It'll be really nice when Seth Lugo comes back and is in the mix there, too. You felt you missed him a little bit tonight, especially in those big at-bats against Hoskins and Harper. Uh, maybe a little bit more movement would have been a nice uh, change-up in that spot. But uh, as far as DeGrom goes, the first, like, four or five innings he's out there, I mean, he threw 25 straight fastballs or 24 straight fastballs at the game. Like, this guy just – he will come at you with whatever he thinks is, is going to be the thing for him that night, and then he'll throw six other things at you in the fifth on. He was Don't pumping – Sorry, John. He was he was pumping 101 like consistently tonight. It was pretty sick to watch. The guy just keeps upping that velocity every year. And uh, you know, Castro pumping 101 too. Alvarado. I think this game might have been. You know, you can check me on this, but I think this game has a good shot at being like having the most 100 plus mile an hour pitches thrown in a single game. Every guy who threw tonight almost threw, was chucking 100. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, crazy velocity on the mound. Don't forget, Degrom also had two hits in this game, including an RBI single. Yeah, like <laughs> it's what it's what the man does. He hits, he pitches. He's just incredible. Yeah, like you know, I was saying this to my brothers. I'm watching the game. Like we've grown up, obviously, past the you know the Tom Seaver era. But when you hear people talk about Seaver, that actually did get to witness him. I'm not saying Jake's quite there yet, but the level of just star power he shows off on a, a nightly basis is just you get the feeling that you know future generations will hear us talk about the Grom in the same kind of way because it really is a treat to watch him just will teams to victory and then for that team to say no thanks and let him down more than they help but uh i think there will be more good days ahead this offense is too good uh you had a freak play from guillorme there i think the offense is gonna really be a lot better going forward they, they did not see more well at all tonight early all right let's switch gears for one second here 
Dominic Smith, a guy that Mets fans and Sandy Alderson have been waxing poetic over all offseason. We get that batting lineup today around 4 o'clock, and we see Kevin Pilar. Pilar, AJ. There, there you go. go. You took Pilar. the spice off of his name. All Good right. job. Kevin Pilar um, is at the top of the batting order playing in center field. What were you thinking when you saw Pilar in the lineup over Dom Smith? I wasn't uh, – when I first saw it, I was confused. Um, I didn't mind Pilar being in the lineup tonight because that is kind of going to be his role more or less. He's going to get most of his playing time against left-handed starting pitchers to get you know the better defense out there. But I was confused about him batting leadoff. He was probably one of the worst bats in that lineup tonight. I get moving Nimmo back because he struggles a little bit more against left-handed pitching, but I don't know, maybe McNeil, who has a little bit more even splits. Pilar's just not a great hitter. Um, and he doesn't get on base very much, uh, even against the lefties. So I, the leading off was a little bit of a head scratcher, uh, to me there. And I also think that he's not a great center fielder anymore. Like at this point, Nimmo might be just as good a center fielder as, as Kevin Pillar. I don't think he's great defensively. So a little bit of a head scratcher there, but I'm not going to go nuts. It's opening day. These guys need to play blah, blah, blah. But that being said, Dom Smith needed to get into this game a little bit earlier tonight i feel like uh he's just too good a player to leave on the bench and it's going to be a problem this is going to be an issue that we talk about again because of the the way that this roster is aligned dom smith is going to be we're going to be mad about not seeing enough of dom smith i feel like which is uh which sucks just to recap what we saw from pilar tonight he started the crazy relay on the double from Hoskins in the first inning that went Gotta off the top of the fence. Got to give him that credit was nice. for that. Yeah, it was nice. But after that, yep. he popped out foul to Hoskins at first base with two on in the third. And then he grounded into a 6-4-3 double play to end the inning with the bases loaded in the fourth. So, ugly night from Pilar, I got to say. So, it was an well, ugly let, night. Me, let, let me defend him for a sec. So, you know, AJ, like – when you're saying Nemo is a better defensive center fielder at this point than Pilar, like I frankly, like I don't have a good enough understanding of just exactly how reliable some of the defensive metrics are. Sure. Because right now the Mets think Kevin Pilar is a better center fielder. I mean, they had both of them in the game and they put Pilar in center field. So I, I don't know exactly how to, you know, go through what the a most objective way to say who's the better center fielder at this point. But the Mets think that's Kevin Pillar at the moment. You do have to give him a ton of credit on the relay. That was fantastic. Hit McNeil perfectly. And then I don't think, we gave, McNeil, I don't think we gave McNeil enough credit about the throw he made to Davis, who, by the way, almost botched that tag. I, I got real nervous as that hand got near the bag because Hoskins did some kung fu stuff near the bag. But like <laughs> that was real close uh, to sliding in safe. But that was huge. I, I just – I'm not going to understand the leaving of Dom Smith on the bench after they took out more in the fourth inning. I thought that was like such an obvious spot to get in Dom and try and blow the doors off this game. Because if the idea is we're going to have a real short leash on DeGrom tonight, which they must have known ahead of time, then why not give yourself an opportunity to make it a laugher early mm -hmm. so that you're not stressing about a 2 nothing game for three innings, four innings? I will just throw this one in quick about Pilar. Pulled up the numbers. Uh, last three years, DRS, 2018, minus three, 2019, minus eight, and 2020, minus two 
in uh, the shortened season. So, I mean, he's not a guy that you throw out there to play gold glove center field anymore. He's not the same player. Um, so, you know, if, if, if the argument for playing time for him is that you're going to get like this much better defensive outfield, I don't really think that argument's there. And that's an argument that they're going to make a lot this year, apparently. Like when they put him out there on opening day for yeah. this exact scenario, they're telling you that this is a very high priority for them. And I, I and we said it in the beginning episode, you know, how we're going to see them play out the, the defense and the outfield defense. To, for them to come out in the first game and play Pilar in this opportunity really tells you that they're going to do this a lot early. I think it's something you're going to see a lot against lefties. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah, that's where he's going to get most of his time. Like I said, it's going to be against lefties, and you're probably going to see him start a lot of these games against, against uh, left-handed starters until uh, at least until uh, us fans start getting in the ear of Louis Rojas about these lineups, which is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think I think everyone's going to give uh, – at least this is my feeling. I'm going to give everyone a little bit of a pass uh, just because sure. you like, have to, you, you know, day, you every, every, to. and everything that happened, uh, in Washington this weekend, like, you know, these guys were ready to go four days ago, uh, and then they point, get yeah. each game canceled on them. So, you know, obviously a funny start to this season for them, but like, if you're, if we want to focus on a positive here for a second, we got to show some love to Francisco Lindor. And by the way, you can forget that second episode we taped uh, Lindor signing the big extension <laughs> right after we put that one up. Perfect time in there for us. But that was watching, great. watching this guy play defense alone just made me feel warm watching the game. Like I, I'm not exactly sure if Jimenez or uh, maybe even Rosario. Well, I know not Rosario. He may have gotten to it, but he wouldn't finish that play. But maybe Jimenez could have had a shot at getting that. But the ease at which he uh, feels like some of the balls at the middle tonight started the double play with McNeil. Uh, it's just going to be so comfortable to have that there. It makes yeah, me feel you, happy. You wouldn't have seen that from past match shortstops for sure. Uh, one of the positive things that I noticed was just the energy in the crowd. It's so great to have a uh, baseball back and having some people back in these seats to make some real noise. Uh, I was getting tired of that fake stuff. It's uh, it was so manufactured, but great to see the energy tonight. Um, Pete, actually, Pete Alonzo's base running impressed me tonight, along with his fielding. You know, he did. There you he, go. He he did mess up that that one diving play to his right, the first one, but then he made that second one. Impressive play. I think he's really uh, he's really come along as a first baseman defensively. Um, but then the tag up on that that McNeil fly ball, the one that McNeil absolutely crushed. Yes. And uh, it was a tough angle for Pete to read. Like that could have been a double off the wall where Pete needed to be halfway down the halfway between second and third, but he was on the bag and he was able to tag up to third. That was great base running. Um, that, that was all like good stuff to see. Yeah. And like you heard Gary mention that in the broadcast tonight, that last year's base running was atrocious. They were going through all the different offensive metrics for the team last year, very high up in uh, like overall. I think they had the first overall batting average in the national league last year. A lot of RBIs, a lot of runs scored, but like for whatever reason, or no, I'm sorry. They didn't have a lot of runs scored because of two things. Couldn't hit with runners in scoring position and they couldn't run bases. So hello, hello, Wilson Ramos. As far as the base <laughs> running goes, that is, that is the, that is the glaring one there. I, I hope Wilson is well in Detroit. Uh, it looks cold, but uh, better things are ahead, I think, at the catching position for us. But we can get into McNe uh, McCann a little bit later. Uh, you know, obviously he was involved oh, a lot tonight in some big stuff. 
There are a lot of guys that you can kind of just throw under the bus tonight. John, uh, John, what about you, man? Give us your positive outlook on the game, something that you're really happy about going into tomorrow night. I mean, I can't say I'm too happy about many things other than what we talked about. Obviously, DeGrom was the MVP of the team tonight. Uh, We had strikeouts across the board tonight. Lindor had a K. I'll be honest with you, Brian Onora was driving me insane. Crazy. In this baseball game. I think he thought that home plate stretched into the right-handed batter's box about five inches off the edge because it was just some of these pitches that he were calling was were, were terrible. Lindor's first strikeout was a perfect example. I'm pretty sure the second strike in that at bat was way inside. Anyway, um, you know, Lindor had a strikeout. Conforto had a strikeout. Alonzo had two. Davis had two. McCann had one. Nimmo had two. Obviously, it's our first game of the season. We're a little rusty. We haven't seen any real live pitching in a week, but we got to cut down the strikeouts, put the ball in play. If we're going to score some runs with this lineup, at least to our potential. There were so many fastballs like down the middle tonight that the Mets just did not make good contact with the, uh, uh, Matt Moore was throwing like he was topping out at 93, 94 throwing like, I don't even know if he hit 94. Like I think I saw, I think 93 was the top. Did he he hit 94? He had 94. 94 once. I mean, he was hanging around like 92, 93 all night. And these were like, they looked like batting practice fastballs that we were like fouling off or swinging right through. We just looked really rusty tonight. And I got to hope that most of that is because of the layoff that yeah. was caused by the freaking Washington Nationals, as if I couldn't hate them anymore already. But uh, I got to hope that's it because we just really looked sluggish with the bats tonight. I think you're 100% right about the sluggishness to start. And and listen, it's not a coincidence that the second time through, the at-bats got a lot better. They actually started getting traffic on the bases and then ultimately getting more pulled uh, before you could finish four. Uh, John, you touched on the home play um situation. I mean, for me... It just shows off how valuable that Real Muto addition could have been. I think he stole pitches all night long. It wasn't just Matt Moore. He was helping a lot of the bullpen get called pitches too. Um, you know, listen, McCann played a nice little game tonight. He had a big hit. Uh, he caught well for DeGrom, I thought. Uh, I mean, listen, you can't complain about any of the pitch selection with DeGrom. I think the confidence to just go fastballs basically the entire first go around the lineup was uh, definitely a conversation between him and Jake. So I'll give McCann his due there. Um, but, you know, I think Real Muto would have done a lot to really help the pitching staff at least get some of those closer pitches called too. As far as other stuff that went on in the league, dude, Otani, Shohei Otani. Unreal. <laughs> Amazing. Like so cool. Uh, starting pitcher, batting second. First time that has happened since 1903. Shout out to Jack Dunleavy. Shout uh, out Jack Dunleavy. <laughs> now Jack, bat. Jack Dunleavy did not also crush a 450 uh, foot home run in in that start. So yeah. uh, and throw 101 miles an hour. I mean, it's just it's absolutely nuts. And I think it was the first time uh, an AL team has opted out of using the designated hitter since 1976. Uh, just nuts. Shout out to Shohei Otani. I think he had a little bit of an injury scare, uh, at the end before he came out of the game, but I think he's going to be fine. Uh, didn't really look like there was too much weird twisting and turning there. It might be a sprained ankle, might not be, but he did come back out on the fields and celebrated after, uh, after the walk-off Homer. So I think he should be fine, but shout out Shohei Otani. That guy is the man. I know like, 
I'm sorry, Brandon, real quick, just to interject AJ. We were talking about fantasy baseball before. AJ's shining jewel on his fantasy baseball team, Fernando Tatis Jr. Something we just saw happen while we were recording the pod. Bro. Tatis Jr. takes a big hack, Bro. immediately crumbles to the no. plate. No. Looks like we I could just... have a hyperextension of an arm or shoulder or an elbow. We'll see. But Fernando Tatis, one of the game's bright young stars, looks like he got hurt again. He's an injury-prone kind of guy, AJ. Easy, easy. I just saw he the is. clip. He oh, is. no, bro. Uh, That's so just... sad. Relax. That doesn't sound like it's sincere over there. Uh, but <laughs> Don't you no. dare be so sassy. It's uh, I just saw the clip. It does not look good. I'm, I'm pretty afraid right now, but I'm, I, I don't want to think uh, too much – about too many more negative things tonight. My Mets lost. My star player just got hurt. Um, I just don't want to talk about it. Don't talk. To you me. know, like, like as we're talking about like things going on around the game right now, have kind of caught our attention. Like, I feel like the whole idea of kind of growing the game has been a big theme over opening day. I feel like they've really done a lot to like MLB promotions and things like that. They've really done a lot to kind of showcase some of these star players and make it seem a little bit more cool. I don't know. Maybe it's the old boomer in me, but I feel like they've done a lot to really make the game feel a little bit more relevant to young people. And obviously, like, you know, AJ, you're talking about Otani, and obviously Tatis are such big parts of that, like getting young fans, new fan bases into the game. And something that I had to mention in terms of getting people interested in watching some baseball, you got to talk about what went down between the Cardinals and the Reds, dude. Nicholas Castellanos just absolutely wilding after going uh, yard against Jack Flaherty in game one. They hit him in game two. Uh, after scoring and sliding into the pitcher, he flexes on him. Huge brawl breaks out. Like everyone's on the field. Yadier Molina is out there, like absolute general on the field. I don't think there's a player in the league that guys have more respect for. But uh, Castellanos gets uh, suspended for two games. He's appealing that suspension, and tonight comes out and absolutely rakes. So, like you know, Nicholas Castellanos, that kind of vibe and just way of uh, playing the game right now. I think, I think more people are really starting to come around to that, you know, being a little bit more emotional on the field. I think there's a lot less skepticism to it. And I love seeing it. You're going to see a ton of it at city this year. So that was something I just wanted to shout out as well. Yeah. So great call by MLB for suspending him two games for bringing that kind of energy. Rome, to the field. Rome wasn't built in a day, give him time. But like, <laughs> yeah, that's a ridiculous suspension. I think it gets knocked down to one. Castellanos was also walking away. I mean, it was Yadier Molina who kind of came in guns a blazing and really got that whole thing ignited. If he, if Molina doesn't do that, is Castellanos suspended? Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of bad blood. There's a lot of bad blood like that in the NL Central. Like you know, we obviously know about Mets Phillies and a little bit like Mets Nationals, but generally speaking, we don't have like heated heated rivalries like that. I feel like the Central they they, they get they get after each other. Amir Garrett's always involved in stuff, and Castellanos <laughs> loves to chirp, bro. Like they got they got some fun little things like that in the Central. But all right, so I guess we're just about at the close here uh, of episode three. Uh, but I just got to check in with you guys. Um, before uh, we hang up the mics for the night, is there something enormous that's going to happen right right as we uh, <laughs> shut off tonight yeah. again? I mean, you know, last episode was pretty nuts. We literally uh, just finished recording episode two about how upset we were, disappointed we were that Francisco Lindor did not come to terms on a long-term extension with the Mets before opening day. And literally – Listeners of Ass in the Jackpot, I, um, I'm not kidding. As soon as we got off the recording, Francisco Lindor 
signed an extension with the New York Mets. So that that was that was pretty nuts. I'd um, like to just, take some credit for that happening. I think we gave just the right amount of negative juju back into the atmosphere <laughs> that just pushed this in the right direction. Uh, but like, yeah, the timing was crazy on that. And listen, maybe we hang out tonight and Conforto signs an extension. Uh, who knows? But yeah, crazy timing on the Lindor episode. Yeah, so I just had to break down the fourth wall there for a second, let everybody know just how crazy that was because that, that was that was pretty wild. Um, for everyone that's been listening since the start, we got to thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We're still figuring stuff out as far as, you know, format and segments and, and guests. Keep an eye out for some important guests that might uh, be coming up pretty soon here. Uh, but a huge thank you to you guys. Uh, in about the sixth inning of today's game or so, we were at, I think, 84 followers or something like that on Twitter. Uh, so I sent out a quick tweet um, asking you guys uh, to retweet. And if we got to 100 followers before the end of the game, uh, I would shout you out if you retweeted that tweet. And breaking news, we hit 100 followers yeah. before the end of the game. So thank you, guys. We hit 100 followers. We hope all of you are listening. Um, so I got a shout out uh, to... MSR2K20. That's his Twitter name. That's also his handle. MSR2K20. The word 20 is spelled out. Shout out him. He's got like a pretty cool thing on YouTube where he uh, he gets the, the 86 Mets together to watch game six from the series. And it's, they're all on YouTube, like on a Zoom chat. It's a pretty cool video. Check out his account uh, to watch that. Um, also have to shout out our boy, David Cameron. Uh, who uh, he's been reaching out to us through DMs and telling us how much uh, he, he's enjoying the show. Uh, so shout out to David as well. And uh, Brendan, uh, your your brother, your brother Danny yeah, slid in man. there. Shout out to Danny for being our hundredth follower. Like uh, I don't know, dude. I think like what took him so long? Okay, but uh, I it, think it did take him a little bit longer. Than, I, uh, no, I man. think I think it's just the word of mouth right now, man. We're spreading like a like a wildfire. Our presence is growing quickly. So big shout out to everyone who's tuning in to listen to us. We, you know, we just like shooting the shooting it on the Mets. That's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. So again, thank you guys. We'll be back shortly with episode four of the S and the Jackpot. Uh, stay tuned.